Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. A lot of people are at the Sportsman Show putting it on, so it looks like a lot of you guys have recognized you. You were here this weekend, so thank you guys for helping. And then there's, of course, there's a lot of faces that are not here that are working this morning. At continue to pray for it. God is doing an amazing work at the fairgrounds as we continue to work. We're on a 13-week series called Surviving Suffering. And uh, before I did this series, I tell you I was a little bit nervous. What I mean by nervous is that as I um, looking at this topic, I know that there's going to be a lot of nerves that uh, get touched. Um, in other words, as we're speaking about suffering, all of us are on the same boat. We all suffer and suffer in many different areas. And, and as we're speaking from the Word of God, well, you know, how do I deal with this suffering? I, I was nervous even about speaking, but I said, okay, God, please help, 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 help. Make this series yours, not mine, please. Um, but I'll just tell you that that um, was there. And then after I got started, I would tell you, I even get a little bit more nervous And the reason why is because now it's like going into some even theological differences that uh, people might even disagree with in regards to suffering because there's so much mystery in suffering. And as there's so much mystery in suffering, we have a whole bunch of different answers that we kind of fill in the gaps of mystery. And as we're filling in those gaps, we come with a theological conclusion. And sometimes we could be wrong. And uh, this morning is one of those sermons like, all right, I might hit some nerves in regards to theological disagreements, and um, I just want you to know that I, you don't have to agree with me. I just, I'm looking through a book of Job. As I look through the book of Job, there are some points that are being communicated that are very, very strong. And, and I believe that this is the direction of what the book of Job is trying to speak. So if you disagree, I love you. You don't have to agree with me. That's not a problem whatsoever. But there's some large statements in the book of Job, and we'll be working over those theological issues this morning. Before we get into it, let's just do a review. Understanding its origin, that's how you survive suffering. If you want to survive suffering, you need to embrace God's unconditional love. If you want to survive suffering, look for answers bigger than your questions why. is the way we survive suffering. And, uh, and if you want to survive suffering, cry out to God by placing your pain on him. And then last week we talked, if you want to fi- uh, survive suffering, find an ear that doesn't speak and, li- uh, that doesn't speak and listen to God who has something to say. And again, we're going through the book of Job as of right now to try to figure out these points and principles of how to survive it. Number one in our notes, to survive suffering, you need to have a balance between being human and hyper-spirituality. Being human and hyper-spirituality, you're probably thinking, well, what do you mean? The best way that we can explain what I mean is, is a story. You look at Jesus. Jesus came down completely human, When he had pain, he was absolutely, completely human. He cried being human. He hurt being human. There was things that would come his way, and as things would come his way, that same things that would come our way, he suffered in regards to those. And Isaiah says, he's a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. Why? Because he's completely human. He was also completely God. He was absolutely, completely God, had the mind of God, had the wisdom of God. He was complete deity is what God looked like inside of a man. That's who Jesus was. So you can look at Jesus in this. You look at Jesus, you can see how he works with suffering, how he responds to suffering. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of awesome analogies and points that gives us an understanding how to survive. But just one story in particular, one of Jesus' friends died. His name was Lazarus. And as Lazarus died, I will tell you that there was suffering that takes place. And there was suffering that took place in Jesus, there was suffering that took place in Mary and Martha, who's related to Lazarus. Well, if you know the story, after Lazarus died, he went into the grave, and after he went into the grave, Jesus showed up four days late, because he's been in the grave for four days. 
And what happened is Mary came up to him, and when Mary came up to him, what did she say? She said, Jesus is dead. If you would have been here, he would be alive. And what did Jesus do? Jesus cried. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus is completely human. So here he wept when Mary came up to him, but then all of a sudden Martha comes up to him. Now we don't know exactly the, the timing, but I bet it was within seconds. He talks to Mary, and he cries, and then he talks to Martha. And what does he say to Martha? Almost a rebuke. He says, well, you'll rise again. And then Martha says, what? Well, you know, at the, re- the resurrection, and he says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will not perish, but will live again. It's a, it's a rebuke. So here he is, he cries to Mary, and then he turns around, and what does he do? <laughs> he rebukes, rebukes Martha. In a sense that, ah, get over it. Don't worry, he's going to live again. You see the two there? He's completely human, and he's completely God, with a mind of God. We're going to look at the book of Job, and when we're looking at the book of Job, we see a man that is suffering absolutely horrific. Now, inside of the book of Job, we're going to see a human, and we're also going to see a lot of spirituality. And we'll see the spirituality come out of the friends that are giving advice. But let's look at Job being human first. The passage we want to work on is Job 3, 3 through 10 before we dive into the book. Job 3, 3 through 10 says, this is Job speaking. Remember after three, or seven days, he was um, with his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And as he's with his friends, nobody's talking. And then all of a sudden, Job opens his mouth, and this is what he says. May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May not light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadows claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May darkness overwhelm its light. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included in the days of the year, nor be entered into the months. May that day be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who read are who, those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. May this morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. If you look through this passage, uh, you will see that may... The word may is mentioned 14 different times in that passage. Well, what is the word may? It's a Hebrew word that explains a wish verb. It's trying to make a wish. In other words, this is what I wish. May this happen. May that happen. Let this take place. Let that take place. I wish these things would happen. So look through the verse. Instead of saying may, even use the words I wish. Verse 3 says, I wish the day of my birth I would have perished. I wish it would turn to darkness. I wish God care about it. I wish no light shine upon it. I wish darkness claim it. I wish a cloud settled over it. I wish blackness overwhelmed its light. I wish thick darkness would seize it. I wish it would not be included among the days. I wish the nights be barren. I wish no shout of joy be heard in it. I wish those cursed days curse that day. <laughs> I love that verse. <laughs> He says, I'm cursing everything, and I'm not a very good cursor, so I wish that somebody knew how to curse would literally curse that day. That's what that verse says. May those who curse days curse that day. I wish 
It in the morning star becomes dark. I wish it would wait for daylight in vain. What do you see there? You see there a hurting man who's not a very good patient. <laughs> what I mean, not a very good patient. He's the one that you send up to OHSU if he's in your hospital. Not because his case is severe, it's just because you don't want him in your hospital. Why? <laughs> because he is complaining out loud and extremely aggressively. And then when you show up to OHSU and you visit him, he has a big old sign on his door that literally says, I'm sorry, no visitors allowed. Further questions, see the receptionist in the front. And then you go see the receptionist in the front, and then they give you a kind of the softest answer they can give of the hospital staff cannot control this individual because of his suffering. Therefore, we're just suspending visitors right now, but in time, don't worry, we will let you in the door trying to get this guy under control. He is being completely and absolutely human as suffering has hit into his bones deep. There's two ways we can look at this. Let's look at it from one way. Let's look at it from a human perspective. From a human perspective, we can see Job is absolutely really hurting. In fact, as he is hurting to the extreme, I'll tell you that we hurt with him. We feel his pain with him. He is being completely crushed, and I feel it in my heart and have sympathy. Job is really, really struggling as we're looking at this. We can look at it from a human perspective and say, Job needs help. I hope he's getting the help that he needs in regards to this situation. We can look at this from a human perspective. We can also look at this from a hyper-spiritual perspective. What does a hyper-spiritual perspective mean? Oh, let me explain what hyper-spiritual is first. Hyper-spiritual is taking God beyond the Bible, is filling in a gap. If there's mystery, you're filling in the gap to give an answer. You don't necessarily know the answer, but you're going to fill in the gap and then use God's name on top of it and fill in the gap. So you can look at it from a hyper-spirituality um, in regards to Job's suffering. Job needs to have more faith. I mean, what a foolish person that is. If he would just have more faith, all of a sudden he would be healed, but he sits there and he wails like a baby. And since he wails like a baby, it's obvious he does not have any faith. What kind of example is that to Christianity? A crying man that has no faith. If he would just believe, he probably wouldn't even be in the situation. If he would just believe, he probably wouldn't have been in the circumstances. The reason why he's probably in this situation is probably something that he did. And if he didn't do it, he wouldn't have been in the situation at all. If he could just walk spiritually through his life, then suffering would have never happened to him whatsoever. If you just listen to the commandment, if you read the New Testament, be joyful always. If you're suffering, listen to God. Be joyful always. He's not being joyful always. And we can throw and cast a stone at him. If Job was a Christian that he should be representing God, and he's not representing God now by his wailing and by his crying. And if he had trust God, he'd be able to get out of the situation. But obviously, he doesn't trust him. And since he doesn't trust him, <laughs> I will tell you, God will not relent his suffering until he does. Hyperspirituality. Job 1, 20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. This is somebody that you if somebody tore the robe and shaved their head in here, it's like, all right, we need to get this person out of here. This is really embarrassing. This person shouldn't be on the street. This person's not acting like they're supposed to. This person's out of control. Try to control the situation. He's acting like a man. But what does it say? Though all this, Job did not sin. And he did not curse God. He is hurting. And he is hurting horrifically. 
But as he is hurting horrifically, he is acting like a human. He is acting like a human. And in the process of acting like a human, I will tell you he's trying to survive the process of suffering. But this is going to bring up a whole bunch of issues. What kind of issues? The issues that it's going to bring up is, remember what we talked about last week? Is that whenever you suffer, God comes to your mind, whether you're a believer or not. Whenever you suffer, God comes to your lips, whether you believe him or not. Have you ever heard the words that I don't believe in God because a God that would exist sovereign over this earth would not allow suffering, and therefore, since there is suffering, God does not exist? Have you ever heard that statement before? What comes to your tongue when you start hurting? Lord's name in vain comes to people's tongue. You could say, you don't believe in God. Nobody believes in God. All these people that don't believe in God say God as soon as suffering takes place. Why does it take place in the Ten Commandments? One of the Ten Commandments, do not use the Lord's name in vain, is the reason why we did not use the Lord's name in vain. God is very aware that suffering is going to come to the surface. And when suffering comes to the surface, there's a statement. It's a God issue. And sometimes we use it in vain, but sometimes we use it in hope. I mean, many, many people come to church because they're suffering. And they will show up, they will come to church, and they'll worship God, and they want answers from God because it is a God issue. But maybe after the suffering's over, they're long gone, and we don't see them anymore. Suffering is a God issue. So whenever we suffer, I will tell you, God's on the tip of our tongue, and God is on the topic. But this issues that are going to bring up is we can ask the question, why am I suffering? Our mind starts to work. And as our mind starts to work, we come up with different answers. And people are walking to church, and they're horrifically suffering. And as they are horrifically suffering, they start to think, is God mad at me? Is God angry at me? Is God throwing his wrath on me? Is God ruining me because of something that I did? People are walking to church, and they're completely haunted by their past. They did something in their past, and their past keeps coming up. Every time they suffer, the past comes up. The past doesn't come up until they suffer, and then all of a sudden the past comes up. And when it comes up, it comes in a horrific form of guilt. Here I go again. I'm going to suffer again. I had that abortion when I was young. And when I had that abortion when I was young, God is going to continue and bring it back on me and back on me and back on me and back on me. And he is going to annihilate me with that wrath because of that is what's taken place. You see what happens is people literally are walking into church and there's a lot of mystery and suffering. And in their mind, they're filling in the gaps when there's mystery and suffering. It's hyper-spirituality. Well, this is why I'm suffering. And then they try to figure it out. And what do they do? They use God's name that is specifically and literally behind it. There's people that are walking to church that are completely and entirely paralyzed with guilt. And the reason why they're paralyzed with guilt is because they're sufferers. And they say, I am completely guilty because I am a sufferer. And do you know what they try to do is they try to come to church to impress God, to try to please God, to try to make God happy for one purpose. So God would get rid of the suffering. But this is the spirituality that takes place in our mind because remember, suffering is a God issue. There's also people that refuse medication because they say, you know, if I'm going to take medication, it would be the ultimate statement to God that I do not trust him. 
If I take medication, I'm using a source that says I do not trust God, and therefore I'm, I'm not going to take and refuse absolutely everything, and I'm just going to trust in God until it happens, and is that all right? Is that correct? You might be thinking, well, yeah, that's, that sounds pretty good. Well, what about the person that um, kept their child at home when he was deathly ill? And he kept the child at home, they said, well, I trust God. Because the Bible says, I believe God, and if I believe God, he will be healed, and all of a sudden the child dies. And when the child dies, what takes place? The law goes after the parents and said, that child is dead by neglect. And the person goes, yeah, but I believed God. And all of a sudden they throw him in jail, and he's sitting in jail. And as he's sitting in jail, he's like, I tried to do it right. I believed, and then my child died, so God didn't answer me there. And then the church is even throwing me under the bus because what took place? I made this horrific mistake, and I'm going to spend 20 years in jail as a result of making that mistake. See, when we suffer, I'll tell you this issue of hyper-spirituality comes out aggressively. So as we're looking through the book, and boy, we need to hustle. As we're looking through the book, we're going to look at uh, Job's friends using hyper-spirituality. Number two, Job's friends brought spiritual blame, shame, condemnation, and judgment on Job. The book of Job is a powerful, powerful book. And the reason why it's a powerful, powerful book is because if you read the first two chapters, I will tell you it makes a lot of people mad, a lot of Christians mad, is that what takes place, God makes a deal with Satan. And now when God makes this deal with Satan, I will tell you that it was God who first met with Satan and struck this deal. If you look at the first two chapters, I'm sorry, you're going to have to read it. I'm not going to go over it completely. It was God who released the adversary to go after Job. It was God who set boundaries on place and limitations on each attack that took place. It was God who permitted all of this to happen. In the first two chapters, Job is going to suffer, and we know the reason why. What is the reason why? I'll just say it really fast. God made a deal with Satan. God had a conversation with Satan. It's just that we know the reason. We see the reason why. And um, we can say, no, that's wrong. God wouldn't do that. Um, I think God called in the big dog, Satan. says, okay, I'm going to make these first two chapters completely controversial, but I want to get a point done. I am going to make a deal with Satan. Don't hate me because of this is God speaking. Don't hate me because of it. I'm going to make a deal with Satan. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit back. I'm going to watch people react and watch people respond. But you will know exactly why he suffered and there's an explanation in verse chapter 1 and chapter 2. But as God sat back, guess what takes place? Well, Job's friends come up with solutions. Job's mind comes up with solutions. Well, God is just looking through 37 chapters of the book. And as he's looking through 37 chapters of the book, he's looking with all these answers, all these solutions, all this direction that has taken place inside of Job. And God's not touching anything. We know why he suffered, but they don't know why he suffered or why they suffered, but they're trying to figure it out. And as they're saying things, do you know what they're doing? They're saying things wrong. And God lets them say things wrong until he gets to the end of the book. And then when he gets to the end of the book, as we even looked at last week, he just then tells them what for. So looking at Job's friends, when you read the comments that Job's friends are saying, we can look at those and go, you know, this is the way my mind thinks when I suffer, but they are wrong, (laughs) And as they are wrong, I need to understand that they are wrong because these are what goes through my mind. Look at Job 4. Consider now. This is an answer that Eliphaz gave him. Consider now. Who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright 
ever destroyed. Those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Eliphaz is saying, innocent people do not perish. Upright people are not destroyed. Sow trouble, you will reap trouble. This is what's taking place with Job. And I think God's back there and says, that's not what's taking place with Job. That's not what's taking place with Job. I made a deal, don't remember? I made a deal with Satan at the beginning, and the reason why he is suffering is because of that. But I'll tell you what takes place in our mind is we look back at our life and say, I'm still having the wrath of God on my shoulders because of what took place 20 years ago. I'm still having the wrath of God beat me all the way through my life because of what has taken place in regards to my sin that has happened. Is that true? Well, it's not true in the book of Job, but yet we come to church and we actually think that often about ourselves. Job 5, Job, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Was Job being disciplined? Job was not being disciplined. When we are disciplined in our suffering, because I will tell you that God disciplines, and God disciplines aggressively, but when I discipline my children, what do we do with our children? We discipline for a purpose to overcome the sin that has taken place in their life, and you carry them through it. That's what a father does. That's what a mother does. That's what God does. When you are being disciplined, you know every dynamic in the person and the reason why you're being disciplined, if you have a relationship with God. And you understand the process, and the process of being disciplined by God is a process to overcome the thing that is killing you as you're walking with God. Well, Job's friends say, you know, there's a gap Oh, what's the gap? Well, Job, you're being disciplined. This is the answer that they gave him. Job 8, does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? This is Bildad speaking. God doesn't pervert justice. God does not use justice unjustly, and therefore there is something in you that is perverted because it's not God when he does his justice. Somebody is wrong. It's not God. It is what? It's you, Job. You are the problem. God's just sitting back there going, I made a deal with Satan. But as they're all sitting there talking, trying to work this thing out, don't fill in the gaps. I made a deal with Satan. This is what it looks like. Don't fill in the gaps. Well, his friends are filling in the gaps the same way that we fill in the gaps in our mind when we suffer. It gets worse. Job 8, when your children sinned against God, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Yes, it means exactly what it says. It says, your children sinned against God, otherwise they would not have died. How many people walk into church and say, I lost a child? And as I lost a child, it's because of what they did, and God killed them for it. How many people are carrying this weight? How many people are carrying this guilt? Why is this passage even written here? This passage is written here because God's sitting back and saying, those are stupid answers. Job is not suffering this way. The reason why his children died is because I made a deal with Satan to make a huge point to the rest of the world, the world we live in now, that is relevant in our modern age, that this is what happens when you're suffering, and this is my personality that is behind it. Continues down, Job 8, 5. Another piece of advice. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to the upright place, your, friends died, your sons died because they suffered, but Job, you still have a chance. Get upright. Get upright. Because if you don't get upright now, do you know what's going to happen? Your fate is going to be the same as your children because they are sinners. 
And if you don't fix yourself right now, you're going to die. Oh my goodness. How many people walk into church trying to do everything they could possibly do to please God, to make God happy so they don't suffer because we can't stand suffering and it's a God issue. So we've got to come to God and we've got to fix it. So what do we do? We come to fix it with God. And how do we fix it with God? The way that we fix it with God, I got to make him happy. I got to please him. I got to make him excited about me. And then when we live for that direction, all of a sudden, oh, I'm not suffering anymore. We have nothing to do with God because we use God for a purpose that's not his purpose that he's wanted to be used by. Job 8, surely God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hands of evil doers. Job, you must be blameless or you would not be suffering. Surely God recognizes deceitful men. Job, you must be deceitful. Otherwise, you would not be suffering. You see his friends are filling in the gaps. Job 34, God repays a man for what he has done. He brings upon him what conduct deserves. I know a person's quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And he believes the reason why he's quadriplegic in the wheelchair is because an accident happened when he was in high school. And when he was in high school, he started tampering around with pornography. And when he tampered around with pornography, God put him in a wheelchair. And for the rest of his life, he believes that the reason why he's in a wheelchair is because of messing around with pornography way back then. But is that the truth? Is that the truth? See, what happens is there's mystery. Lots of mystery that takes place in suffering. We don't know why he's in a wheelchair, but we don't fill in the gaps. Well, Job's friends, they've got to fill in the gaps. But even in our mind, we fill in the gaps. And when we do, what happens? Guilt just overtakes us. And a complete different theology continues to arise. And it's a theology of I am going to please and impress God because I want to get out of the suffering that I am in. Job's suffering was taken into a spiritual world by his friends with spiritual authority. They said, this is the reason why you're suffering, but it gets worse. Number three, Job's friends brought those things on Job with spiritual authority. If you thought Job's friend's advice was bad, well, I'll tell you how they're explaining their advice. Job 4, here's um, Zophar. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Amid disquieting dreams in the night, when deep sleeps fall on men, fear and trouble seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair of my body stood to on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. There is a vision that Zophar saw. So his words come with authority. Why? Because he saw a vision from God. And as a result of seeing a vision from God, he starts to speak with that spiritual authority. Well, we know that what he said was wrong, so there's only three different things that I could possibly come up with in regards to this vision that he's seen. He's either lying or he's listening to an evil spirit because it says in the New Testament, test the spirits, or he's spiritually misinterpreting a fart, (laughs) if you look at it. Caught a whisper, a spirit glided past my face. Who knows what's taking place, but it's wrong. Why? Because he says it. But when, when it takes place, he comes with an answer. And his answer is with the power of God. Um, Elihu is another person that came with spiritual authority. Bear with me a little longer, and I will show you, show you that there is more to be said on God's behalf. In other words, I am speaking on behalf of God, and therefore my lips are saying it. I get my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe justice to my maker, be assured that my words are not false. 
One perfect in knowledge is with you, but are they false? They're all, they're all false. They're all false. It takes place when it comes to spirituality or when it comes to suffering is God comes into our mind and we try to figure out the gaps and I think God's looking back and say, stop trying to figure it all out. Don't carry the guilt. Try, don't try to understand there's a lot of mystery and suffering. Just relax with the mystery and hang on to the simple fact that I know you. Again, looking at the time, we're going to have to go through these fast. What do we need to do as people? We need to avoid hyper-spirituality. I want to pick up some of the strong topics that are taking place in our world. Number four, when you are suffering, don't bring spiritual oppression down upon yourself. What happens when we are suffering? What do we do? We multiply it with spiritual oppression by saying, I don't have enough faith. I sin too much. God is angry with me. God has punished me. God doesn't care about me. God is not there. And I will tell you that people die with guilt. And I will tell you that it is a tool that Satan uses to destroy somebody. And he loves to do it when somebody is suffering. God hates you. God doesn't want you. God thinks you are a sinner that should be rotted into the pit of hell. And you see why you're suffering? That's the reason why you're suffering because of that. And that's not the reason. Is that the reason? If we are completely believe the simple of our mind that says, I am suffering because of the sin that took place 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I'm suffering because of the sin that took place five years ago, and I'll probably have to suffer the rest of my life. You are literally saying that, Jesus, your death was not sufficient to wipe my sin away. In fact, it was not even strong enough to wipe my sin away. And I will tell you that if you look at a cross that was not sufficient to wipe your sin away or was not powerful enough to wipe your sin away, you're going to look at a weak God, and you always view him as weak. But God wanted to make a statement at the cross. And the statement we wanted to make is that I will wash your sin completely and entirely away for the purpose of getting rid of the guilt so I can build you into the man I want you to be. So I can build you into the lady that I want you to be. It's called being born again. Accept me as King of kings, Lord of lords. I will wash your sin away Walk with me, and as you walk with me, I'll give you the strength to sustain. Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When you are suffering and you go to God, you will see God if you see grace. You will see God if you see grace. The problem is, is that many, many people will end up in hell because they believed they needed something more than the cross of Christ to be saved. And they're coming to church to try to get something more than the cross of Christ, and they do not see the grace that is there to transform them. Number five, if you need a doctor, or if you need to go to a doctor, don't feel like you are demonstrating a lack of faith if you go. Huge, huge issue. Refusing to go to a doctor because you have faith sounds very, very spiritual, but it's, it's not biblical. Jeremiah 8.22 says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physicians there? Why then is there no healing for the wounded, for the wound of my people? Um, is there no physicians in Gilead? What are you talking about physicians? You talk about doctors? Why would you need a doctor if you have a God that would heal everything that is your problem? Why would you need a doctor? Here's a trick question. Who wrote the majority of the New Testament? Who wrote the majority of the New Testament? Well, you, people say, well, Paul. Paul's the one that wrote it. He's not the one that wrote it. 
It was actually a doctor. <laughs> it was a physician, a physical physician, a doctor. Who was it? It was Dr. Luke. Luke and Acts is what? There's more words in Luke and Acts than all the Pauline epistles. There's a doctor that wrote that. Um, is God against doctors, or did God give us doctors to help us out in this world? We move to hyperspirituality. I don't need a doctor. I just need faith. Number six, if the doctor has prescribed you medication for a medical reason, don't feel like you're disobeying God if you take it. I'm not going to tell anybody to take medication. (laughs) I'm not going to tell anybody to take medication whatsoever. I'm going to tell you that if you have taken medication over depression or if you've taken medication because over pain prescribed specifically by a doctor to get you through it and to make you strong enough after departing it, don't feel guilty. Stop feeling guilty. Why? Because... It moves into hyper-spirituality. I can't use a human source, though I'm human, I cannot use a human source that God gave the human minds to create to make sure that I can survive this thing that I'm suffering with, therefore I will neglect it for the purpose of my belief. Well, that's not the way, that sounds really good, but it's not the way the Bible functions. In fact, if you look at it, I'm going to give you two um, read two spiritual passages, or not spiritual passages, but two passages that we really don't like to read, um, because we can take it in different ways, and, and you, some people in here might even take it different ways. But listen, Proverbs 31. Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. My goodness. First Timothy 5, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your freaking illness. I mean, some people are thinking, oh my goodness, I'm depressed. I'm going to use alcohol. No, don't use alcohol. Absolutely. That's not, that's not exactly what it says. It says alcohol was a medicine that they used back then. What we use nowadays is we go to a doctor and say, give me a substance that is controlled so I don't get out of control as I try to walk through this. But as Christians, we go, ah, no, that's, that's wrong. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. And if we do do it, people come to church and they do feel extremely guilty. But here we have a couple of verses that says, no, people used medicine back then. Number seven, to survive suffering, you need to have a balance between being human and hyper-spirituality. The best balance you can possibly find is through Jesus Christ, completely man. And when he suffered, he suffered completely as a man. And in, in Hebrews, it talks about that he is the exact representation of God. And before, God spoke to the, with the, the prophets with dreams and visions. But now he speaks through his son. And the reason why he speaks to his son is I will tell you that we can view him in regards to our suffering and see how to behave, how to act, and how to literally respond because he was complete man, yet complete God. A complete revelation to us and understanding of how do we suffer. So when we suffer, where do we go? When we suffer, where do we go? Encouragement is don't go hyper-spiritual because the Holy Spirit does what? The Holy Spirit explains who Jesus is and testifies everything about what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit takes you and sends you specifically to Jesus to open up your eyes and open up your heart to the suffering Savior, which is a man of sorrows, so we can glean off of him and understand exactly how we need to survive the process of the suffering. And even for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Christ in the process of suffering. And as we talk about Christ in the process of suffering, I will tell you that's where we're going to find our peace. That's where we're going to find our strength. That's where we're going to find our rest. That's where we're going to find our answers. God, we just ask that you uh, empower us 
to have faith. Not to fill in the gaps of mystery, but to have faith. Faith in you that as we're walking through things, God, um, there is a reason behind it. There's a purpose behind it. There's a mission behind it. And there's a God behind it. Help us to respond only to you specifically, God, when we go through suffering. Give us that heart, God, that will not let you go in that process. In Christ's name, amen.